This edition of Monocle on Sunday was first broadcast on the 23rd of January 2022 at 10am CET. The head of the German Navy has resigned following controversial remarks he made about Ukraine. Kai Achim Schoenbach said Ukraine would never take back the Crimean Peninsula from Russia. He said the idea that Moscow wanting to invade Ukraine was nonsense and that President Putin deserved respect. A court in Turkey has ordered a well-known journalist to be jailed ahead of a trial on charges of insulting President Recep Tayyip Erdogan, said if Kabas denies the charges. Italy's former Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi has withdrawn from the race to become President of Italy. He said he was pulling out for the sake of national unity. Parliament is due to begin choosing a candidate on Monday. The current Prime Minister Mario Draghi is the favourite to get the job. And a colony of beavers has made its presence felt in Zurich's most popular park for dog walkers, as well as chewing through rows of trees and leaving deposits of wood chips along the water at Almont Brunau. One dog owner reported having their pet struck by a beaver using its tail. In the canton of Zurich alone, where a beaver count was last carried out in 2020, the population increases by a quarter every three years. And those are the headlines on Monocle 24. Now it's time to cross from a thankfully beaver-free London to Zurich, where I believe we can join our editorial director, Tyler Brulé, for Monocle on Sunday. Good morning, Tyler. Good morning, everyone. You'd be happy to hear that we're shoring up the front doors here in case there is a, a beaver invasion. Make sure you don't get them chewed through. No, listen, I'm Canadian. I know how to deal with, uh, I know how to deal with beavers. And we'll leave it there for now. How are you? <laughs> We're not going to leave it there. <laughs> Are you going to be joining into the biannual beaver count in Zurich? I mean, that sounds like an adventure. Oh, I don't know if there's been budget cuts or something. <laughs> They're having to employ civilians to do that. But anyway, it, it, listen, it, it's, mm. it's a topic. And uh, a little bit later, we'll be hearing uh, from uh, Christoph Munger. Thankfully, uh, Christoph Munger, is the, he looks after the foreign desk. He's not after the uh, looking after the wildlife desk at the Tagus Anzagu. But this is a story that they, they did break. And they've given it a lot of real estate on page and on screen, as, mm. as you've noticed, of course, mm. as well, it's Emma. Front page of the Tagus Anzagu, in-depth features, all to do with, I mean, they've gone to town. So congratulations <laughs> the Tagus Anzeiger. The fact is that they've been tracking beavers as well because these beavers getting across town as well, they don't just stay in one place. There's, there are beavers on the move yeah, all yeah, over they've, Zurich. They've, they've, they've got tram tickets and, and, and everything. So uh, we, we can go into that. Emma, we're going to hear from you in about 27 minutes time. Hopefully uh, you'll have some other stories uh, for us from uh, the world of, of natural Switzerland. Uh, Modiglon Sunday starts now. Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brulé. Coming up on today's programme, live from Duforstrasse here, my guests are Florian Egli and Christoph Munger. They're both here. Florian is at the table. What has caught your eye this morning? So this morning, an interview about Sunday walks has caught my eye. And of course, electricity shortages potentially in Switzerland. Very good. Well, we'll have to cozy up for that, uh, for sure. We'll also be heading to Tokyo during, uh, to hear from our bureau chief there. Hello, I'm Fiona Wilson, Monocle's Tokyo bureau chief. I'll be chatting about some of the stories making headlines here in Japan. 
Thanks very much for that, Fiona. Plus, we'll also review what's making headlines in the pages of the Danish newspaper Jyllands Post and and Monocle's head of radio, Tom Edwards, joins us in a moment from London. It's the 23rd of January, 2022, live from Zurich. This is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brulé. And good morning from a somewhat sunny uh, Zurich this morning. Uh, on oh, We're almost at the uh, the end of uh, January. Very happy that we can do a bit of a check-in uh, with some of our regular voices uh, to see how the year has been going uh, so far. Uh, Florian Egli uh, is here this morning, of course. Uh, you teased us a little bit. There's some stories which we'll come to in the moment, but good morning. How, how are you? Good morning, Tyler. Um, very well. I'm very well. Uh, back in Zurich, I'm settled in again in the city after after some extended weeks in the mountains. And um, yeah, I'm happy that the new year has begun. And uh, we'll be, of course, uh, unpacking some of the major news stories. Uh, and as many of our listeners uh, will know, of course, uh, you are with uh, the foreign policy think tank, Four Us. Uh, busy time for you. I mean, not not, not uh, uh, really a bad uh, few news weeks and the start of a good news year. Well, maybe it's not going to be a good news year. But anyway, good in terms of this generation of stories. Busy, busy. In that sense, good, yes. So, I mean, foreign foreign affairs, foreign policy has, has been front, you know, and square um, since 1st of January. Also, last year, it has been quite busy, um, to be honest. Um, Geneva at the center stage of international, you know, um, tensions between between the US and Russia. I mean, you know, um, electricity prices, what we might talk about, which are also tied, of course, to the situation we're seeing in the Eastern Europe. So, um, yes, I mean, foreign policy is really on the front pages and, and a lot of things happening. So that's that's good in general for our think tank. You know, um, we have a lot of uh, papers forthcoming and a lot of people, you know, giving advice and commenting on issues. Very good. Uh, Christoph Munger is also here. Christoph looks after the, the foreign desk at the Tagus Anzeiger, a newspaper, one of the German language newspapers of record. Good morning. Very nice to good see morning. you. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we're actually just looking at the screen up here. We can we can see that uh, we, uh, we've we had uh, the Norwegian government uh, have sent yes. a plane uh, to, from uh, from Oslo uh, to to Kabul. Uh, now we're seeing some images um, of the Taliban uh, who are uh, have arrived in Oslo, arriving in Oslo uh, for talks uh, right now as well. So as Florian was saying, on one side we've got uh, Geneva, of course, a diplomatic hub. Oslo also, also. a diplomatic uh, hub uh, as well. It'll be interesting to watch this um, this story uh, unfold. But just maybe for for both of you to start uh, this morning, and we're going to be going to London in a moment to talk to our our Tom Edwards um, as well. These points of meeting, these these points of intervention, uh, does it does it play well for Europe, brand Europe? Of course, we have two countries outside of the EU, obviously, both Norway and Switzerland. Uh, but important, that, let's say, the Taliban talks with Norway um, are happening on at least in this patch of the world. I, I think so. I mean, it's the first time that they come to to Europe, and the the, the topic is the uh, human humanitarian catastrophe that unfolds right now uh, in in Afghanistan. I mean, the foreign secretary of of Norway clearly stated that 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 doesn't mean that they accept the Taliban regime. However, I think it's probably good to to talk with them, although uh, they are. Uh, we could say a terroristic regime, but uh, the people really uh, are suffering in, in Afghanistan, as as we hear and, and can read uh, almost every day. And so maybe they can find a way 
to 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 help them to assist to to bring some aid into the country um, uh, without accepting or recognizing the regime. However, as I've heard a couple of days ago, it's not a problem of of aid or food within the country. The problem is that the people don't have money anymore to buy uh, this food. And uh, the the head of uh, Caritas International, a, a, a German, uh, who gave this interview, I've heard a couple of days ago, he said that the best thing to do, to do would be to to give the, the people some money that they can go to the market and uh, buy some food. Mm. It's a bit complicated, though, isn't it, Florian? On one side, you say you don't acknowledge uh, or certainly accept the policies um, of the Taliban, um, but at the same time, you send a, a three-engine gleaming Falcon jet uh, to pick them up at the same time, uh, and, and you're saying you don't acknowledge them. Uh, is that rather sort of you know uh, complicated visuals as well? It's complicated visuals, but I mean, it's illusionary to think that nobody will talk to the Taliban now. I mean, I mean, the, the West and especially the US, but also many European governments have been involved heavily in Afghanistan for two decades now. And it's just an illusion to think that now everything ends, uh, you know, point bleak and then that's it. So, you know, talks, of course, continue, um, although um, behind the scenes. And I would expect them to, you know, move towards the stage gradually um, as as we we progress. And I think one of the big issues of the of the Western, um, the Western allies that were in Afghanistan is that they really really withdrew almost everything, you know, they emptied their embassies, um, all the associated NGOs left, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and yet, you know, some other powers have in deliberately left their embassies open. And I think um, this perhaps is also to some extent a sign that um, you know, in this case, Norway is offering is offering to host the talks, but but just in general, the Western the Western allies um, they want to remain at this table and they want to you know remain a partner to talk to, although they have completely withdrawn from Afghanistan. I mean, they actually have left the table and now they try to to get back a little bit because the Russians and the Chinese have remained at the table exactly. uh, with with strong voices and uh, as we know, they both uh, both countries. Uh, are about to 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 use their power. Uh, for Taiwan is the one question regarding China, and I guess about Ukraine crisis. We are going to speak here. I think so. Probably uh, just just a little bit this morning. Uh, crossing over to London now. Uh, Tom Edwards uh, is standing by. He is, of course, uh, our head of radio. Good morning, Tom. Good morning to you, Tyler. Great to hear from you uh, this Sunday morning. A little a little gloomier here than it sounds like it is there, um, but I'll do my best to bring a bit of sunshine over the airwaves for you from London. Okay, well, ho hopefully the clouds are going to lift. Tom, if we were uh, heading down to the newsstand uh, together this morning and we were picking up uh, the Sundays, uh, in certainly in the UK at least, uh, what's uh, making headlines over there today? Well, Tyler, it's interesting. You know, if you take a quick sweep of the UK front pages, it's, you know, some of the stuff that you guys have already uh, reflected on, lots of uh, warnings about this sort of Putin uh, puppet show that he might put on in the, in the Ukraine, an unusual step um, by the, the Foreign Office to actually name a potential uh, player that he might use there. Uh, looking around, if you look in the Observer, there's that prominently. Partygate, Tyler, sadly, is still uh, knocking around the imminent <laughs> investigation by by Sue Gray into what went on and how many people were there and how many smuggled bottles of wine were in suitcases. Uh, and that's that's featuring across uh, across the the mix, whether it's in the, the, the Times or even some of the, you know, the, the, the less uh, the less reputable newspapers are still getting very excited about about that. W one that I did think was quite interesting, uh, Tyler, and actually 
this picked up on something that which I think you were writing about in your column in our in our weekend edition this morning, which is about getting back out into the world. The mail leads with a story that certain Whitehall mandarins, for it is they, uh, some of them are saying they're going to work from home forever. Apparently, they've relocated to the country and they have no intention of of coming back to London. Quite where that leaves you. Uh, you're talking about the art of diplomacy and this kind of thing. How that leaves you in the business of doing good governance, um, I really am none the wiser. No, and it'd be interesting. Uh, well, do, do you have an angle on, uh, is, is the male taking a rather dim view on this? I, one would imagine so, that, uh, of course, the mandarins of Whitehall uh, should be um, you know, at their desks and in the mahogany-lined uh, corridors as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, they, they, the headline says, uh, it calls them the Whitehall blob, Tyler, which is, I think, not a term of, endear- not a term of endearment. <laughs> Um, but it, but it is funny on the flip side, you know, some of the other papers uh, have news. Uh, this is featured in the Times, of course, as well, and also in the OBS about uh, phasing out some of the other re- restrictions on travel. So whilst the mandarins might be uh, doing a sort of dirty protest at home, everyone else can get back out into the world. A real boon, apparently, Tyler, for uh, transport companies, airlines. The UK is going to drop its day two tests, uh, which regular visitors will still be familiar with. Overseas arrivals still need to do that within 48 hours of their arrival. That's being dropped from next week. So we could see a big surge in bookings uh, for the sort of half-term holidays coming up in February and, of course, a boost for the summer industry as well. It is worth pointing out, I think, if we look at the kind of domestic picture here and all the papers are talking about this moment for, for, for Boris Johnson, Sue Gray's report, you know, she's now being profiled in the FT weekend this weekend. She's ruling imminently and uh, she now has access to all sorts of uh, more detailed data in terms of uh, the staff in number 10 Downing Street, there is this sense, Tyler, and I think this has been reflected in the newspapers for the last couple of weeks, really, uh, that Johnson and his administration, you know, the future is in the balance. We're used to covering the bombast of what he has said and done or not said and not done, uh, the laughs around the world. It's been interesting hearing some of our European correspondents and friends from newspapers like your guests, Tyler, reflecting on the view there on Operation Red Meat, throwing these scraps to the Tory party. Um, but, you know, this could a day of reckoning is imminent uh, for, for, for Boris. And whether that is what the UK needs right now, you know, probably not. But it, it's definitely building up to something, you know, potentially fairly significant in the days ahead. And Tom, even you mentioned, of course, this almost unprecedented move by the Foreign Office to to name uh, the potential puppet who could uh, be stepping in in Kiev is almost quite remarkable as well. And you say, well, okay, this is you know maybe a bit of interesting statesmanship. Uh, this is the UK stepping forward, but the cynical side also says, is just this is just another diversion. It's almost like, will this at least creep up to maybe not the number one news story, but certainly uh, the the second news story uh, that will, of course, uh, keep, you know, uh, Boris and, of course, his colleagues uh, in power for at least another week. I mean, that's really interesting. You're such a cynic, Tyler, aren't you? Are you talking about burying bad news? (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I, I was really, really, really struck by this naming. You know, the foreign secretary comes out and names an individual, a former Ukrainian MP, Yevhen Muraev, as this potential candidate. And it's almost as instructive, Tyler, to look at what he's had to say. He's, you know, come out on the record and said, look, this is there's no logic to this. I'm banned from Russia. Uh, my uh, money from my father's firm has been confiscated there. And the Foreign Office sort of doubled down. They've named other Ukrainians with links to Russian intelligence as they see it. And I think it has been interesting, you know, hearing from uh, other sort of regular sparring partners on on this programme, um, uh, Tyler, you know, talking to people like Ben O'Zog, who are looking 
not just at Ukraine, but of course at Belarus and across the region, this instability, it is very interesting that for a foreign policy question that perhaps has been on the, the back burner or you know buried inside newspapers begins to come to, to, to prominence. And yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the Tories try and do a bit of grandstanding. We've seen it all around the world. We've seen Joe Biden try it stateside to try and play this kind of if not a foreign policy card, a statesman card, um, and to talk about diplomacy, to talk about uh, working with international partners, I don't think it'll be enough for, for Boris. But there's no question that this story uh, is going to to creep up and should be should be leading the bulletins, shouldn't it? Let's be honest, in this country, uh, in the days ahead. Absolutely. And so I want to just uh, to bring back uh, Christoph uh, on this. Of course, he's running uh, he's running a foreign desk. I'm not sure, you know, how many hundreds of millions of francs he has uh, to, of course, uh, spend on sending uh, correspondence around the world. But maybe just from from the, the gritty side of actually just covering the story right now, what does it mean for a news desk like yours? Uh, so have you sent uh, your own correspondent out there? Are you relying, uh, of course, on an, a bigger uh, network of, of freelancers uh, out there? And yeah, I, I guess also so how are you budgeting for this over, you know, over the, well, potentially days, weeks, months to come? Because this, could, you know, this is one of those stories that sometimes makes uh, owners of news businesses also shudder a little bit uh, because they know this can be very long and you have to be there as well, you know, day in and day out to cover it. Yeah, of course, I'm not the owner of the newspaper, but uh, we, we, uh, right now we, we work with the framework we have. I mean, we have uh, correspondent in, in Moscow. We have somebody who has traveled to the Ukraine now uh, near the front line. We work with have a cooperation with, with Süddeutsche Zeitung from Munich. We work uh, closely together. Uh, we've got somebody uh, who used to be a correspondent in, in Moscow, in Zurich. Uh, she speaks the language, she follows everything, and she, she writes about that. And of course, if, if uh, we, we, if you are going to see an escalation, some sort of a war, we have to think about sending somebody to, to, to in, in, into the area, and, and then, uh, then, then we don't talk about money. Then we talk about, of course, uh, uh, about, about the news, about the media, what we have to to bring to our to our people. And uh, on the other hand, we have people in the U.S. I mean, I myself write about U.S. politics. So the, the other side is is basically uh, easily covered, and and Geneva, of course, as well. And let's maybe just, uh, and, and I'd love to do a little bit of a straw poll this morning. Let's go to Geneva. Uh, and uh, of course, you brought it uh, up first, uh, Florian. Maybe the, the characters involved, uh, of course, uh, Mr. Lavrov uh, has been on the scene for, for some time. Of course, we also have a, a newish uh, Secretary uh, of State. Uh, I don't know, maybe we should do some, some scoring, uh, just his, your take on him. From a statesman point of view, uh, but also, of course, he is the mouthpiece uh, for the United States in all of this. His performance, uh, and, and certainly if you if you look at obviously um, whether these have been calls or whether these have been face-to-face -face, uh, encounters of late, yeah, um, how Mr. Blinken's been doing? I mean, I think it's a tough question because if you compare it to, to Russia, it's always your you know, um, you're competing with a team that's been there for decades and, and you know, that's, that, that knows the game, that knows each other extremely well. Um, so Sergei Lavrov have, has been on the stage, you know, I don't know for how many years, but it feels like forever. And then, you know, you come in as a new Secretary of State, in this, in this case, Anthony Blinken, and you have to build your profile somehow. I mean, of course, they don't come out of nowhere, but still on this stage, you have to build your profile. Um, and in this sense, I think 
as I perceive it at the moment from the U.S. side, it's it's more a team effort. So I don't see Anthony Blinken as like this one figure that has a very clear profile or a personal stance in, on things or, or let's say charisma. I don't see that at all. I see it's rather this um, this administrative image. So it's it's kind of a and the 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 image of an efficient bureaucracy, right? Um, of different people taking different roles in these talks and less of like one mind or one kind of character driving this. So I, I think it's perhaps deliberately um, the personal side is a bit in the background. But I think it would be fair to mention this uh, Wendy Sherman. I mean, she started the talks in Geneva with her counterpart from Russia. Uh, I followed her news conference and uh, she was she was very tough. She was very clear and I think she was quite successful actually. Uh, she went to, to, to Brussels and uh, uh, the cohesion was better afterwards in NATO than before. And uh, I think she, she's, she knows uh, the, the topic very well she follows Russia. She's been following it for years. The problem was last week when uh, President Biden uh, went to the press and, and talked about uh, talked about NATO. There is no cohesion. Yeah, he can do a little invasion, but not a big invasion. And uh, but and and uh, just uh, I think 30 or 60 minutes later, the White House had to to clarify the things. And I think that was a very weak point. And of course, uh, you're right. It's also my impression that they work as a team, but but the captain of the team had really a bad week. Mm. Uh, Tom, just uh, from your perspective, are you surprised that we're not seeing, or, or, or maybe not surprised, uh, that we're not seeing a little bit um, yeah, more joined up thinking, uh, being a little bit more arm in arm between, uh, yeah, let's say, of course, the State Department um, and, and the, the Foreign and Commonwealth Office? Yeah, I, th- I think so, Tyler. And there's this need, I think, to for the Biden administration uh, across the board to kind of restate a little bit what they're what they're about. I know this is a problem domestically, but I think in diplomatic terms, it was instructive this week. You know, I was talking to our Fiona Wilson. I know you're going to speak to her later about the U.S.-Japan talks this week, and we had this interesting discussion about the changing nature of diplomacy, of of statecraft, and how. You know, the, the the immediate threats now and the nature of those threats from, uh, you know, whether they're coming from Moscow, whether they're coming from Beijing, it's much more disruptive. It's hard to read. The, the game is changing. And actually, certainly on the US-Japan uh, side, the, the, the statecraft feels kind of old-fashioned. And I wonder whether, you know, I don't know if this is one for your panellists, but are, are the, you know, the importance of diplomacy is is it's never been more important than it is now but do we need to change the some of the ways we do it and you know particularly in the last couple of years it's been harder to be meeting face to face is that a factor has that made it more difficult to look one another in the eye to read between the lines are we losing some of the nuance i don't know how much of that is structural and how much of that is just circumstances but do all of these key players when the stakes are growing as they are across eastern europe right now maybe need to recalibrate the way they think about actually doing the diplomacy that they're trying to do. Florian, maybe it's a little bit uh, your patch, and I don't know if it's something that you give much time talking about those frameworks uh, as well and what they look like uh, for success, what they look like for, uh, of course, from one side, uh, you know, advancing their ideas uh, versus versus another. But as Tom is um, sort of asking there, uh, are we slightly on the back foot in terms of the craft that we're working with here? 
I think I think it, this this is spot on, and and Tom, I I agree with you. You know, um, kind of diplomacy has not been on the center stage for a while, and has not been as important as it is for a while. But the way in which it is conducted is extremely traditional. I mean, um, you know, these I agree. Perhaps you know there is a, a certain bit of nuance lost when you can't speak face to face. But just the fact that you know we have all these these talks lined up, and it's bilateral meeting between foreign ministers or secretaries of state, or then even presidents. Um, it's all like extremely traditional in a setup that we've seen in the last century. And um, yet, you know, five five years ago, I, I I remember discussions, you know, in Switzerland with the with the Foreign Office about you know open diplomacy, about you know um, involving um, a lot of you know citizens um, way more prominently about communicating what this is all about to the population, uh, different interest groups, and all of this. Um, that can also be virtual. You know, there were projects with Silicon Valley companies about you know how to open all of this up and how to structure talks for more success, and all of this has been. I think I think quite suddenly forgotten. So as as soon as we we you know step one foot into a crisis, we're back into the really traditional mode of okay, but this has to go up the command chain, and then you know we have these bilateral meetings and all the kind of procedures um, around it that feels very traditional. I, I agree uh, regarding the setup. I do not regard. I do not. I do not re agree with the structure behind. I mean, uh, if you go back to the to the Cold War, the Soviet Union and even China, they they were interested to consolidate the status quo. Now it's completely different. Uh, the uh, the Russia uh, in in opposite to the Soviet Union, they want to change the the status quo in Europe. Uh, it's a revisionist uh, power compared to the West, who is more traditional. And they want to consolidate the the, the status quo as we have in now with the, with the NATO and in, in, in the enlargement. So I think that the, the consequences of that is that the, the revisionist country in this, in this, uh, at this time, Russia, is at least on the rhetoric uh, 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 acting very aggressively very aggressively and also with, with this with this troop they deploy that everybody can see they want us to see that and uh, I think that's that, that's different in in the Cold War they, they, they were more interested in to, to keep keep everything calm. Tom, I was um, in, and we're going to be heading to, to Aarhus uh, in a moment, to speak to the editor-in-chief of the Ullens, um Posten, but I was in uh, Denmark for most of, uh, of this week, and it was interesting in so many meetings and, uh, and dinners and, and various conversations in a very casual way. Everyone was looking to Sweden, deployment of troops to Gotland. This was actually was a talking point. Uh, some people were also laughing, saying that you know that uh, Denmark could only uh, send four uh, four F-16s uh, to to Estonia. That they've sent one frigate, uh, of course, to the Eastern uh, Baltic as well, which you know is 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 I guess is not is not a bad deployment. Do you feel that this discussion around the Ukraine um, and and what might unfold um, is it uh, is it being discussed? Uh, you know, by people lined up at Pratt in London or um, or going down to the pub. <laughs> uh, Tyler, can I shock you? Probably not. I think this is another, one of the problems is that there's a bit of a disconnect between, um, you know, people that do, you know, so well, like what Christoph does, uh, people who have Florian's keen eye trained on these things. There's a disconnect between their uh, understanding of the nuance, the significance of these things. They know what to watch. <clears throat> and there's a complete lack of focus, really, from from the, the the broader public. No, sadly, I think in the certainly in the Pret on Baker Street, um, it's going to be much more about you know Prince Andrew's prospects of of jail time. I, you know, it's so depressing that there's not really a keen eye put on these things. We try our best, though, of course, Tyler, don't we, to reflect 
some of that missing nuance that, that uh, your panellists just mentioned. But yeah, I, I don't think it's troubling the man and woman on the streets. And therein lies some of the problem. If it doesn't interest them, it doesn't sell newspapers. And if it doesn't sell newspapers, apparently it doesn't bother our current administration. So um, we, we we lose a lot of the, the focus, a lot of granular detail doesn't get analysed. Um, and then these things kind of pass the UK by. And I think there's a concern more broadly. I think, you know, your guests might be talking about, you know, the Horizon programme and brain drains and stuff later. But I mean, there is an issue clearly of whether the UK does become a bit marginalised on the key substance of dealing with issues like insecurity in, in Ukraine and the wider region. And I think until people demand uh, better coverage of it and more accountability on these matters of foreign policy, um, it probably won't change here in the UK, at least. Tom, I know you have to leave us uh, very uh, quickly. Um, and it's you might have heard at the top of the program um, that, that Florian mentioned uh, there's there's a story, and this is a real change of tack. But one assumes that, it, that if you have to sort of, you know, zip out, Tom, it's probably because you're going for a Sunday walk. Now, there is a story about Sunday walks uh, in, mm. in the papers uh, here today. And uh, and Florian has a bit of, bit of a, well, not your perspective, but it's a bit of perspective, <laughs> which is in the papers. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an interpretation of an interview, so to say. But I just felt very seen in that interview because I always ask myself, why do people go on Sunday walks? I find it depressing, to be honest. I just find it depressing to see all of these people just going out on a Sunday. All other weekdays, they don't, right? They sit behind their screens. And then on a Sunday, they all go for a stroll. And, and this, this weird thing of either either walking through the forest in, in Zurich or by the lakes and getting your ice cream, I just find this utterly depressing. So, Tom, I hope if you do go on a Sunday walk, then, then I mean, you know, do, do something crazy. <laughs> I, I couldn't I couldn't disagree more because I think it depends on where you do your walks and with whom of course uh, yeah. as well, <laughs> well and, I mean I really like to go to the forest especially in the winter time if there is snow if there is ice on on the trees it gives you fresh air you I walk and I, I think about things I'm doing I've done in the last week I'm going to do the next week I think for, for me personally it's really a source of energy I get there I, I walk I breathe uh, uh, I walk quickly of course there's some some physical exercise involved but I, I like it I mean I can't do that during during the week when I sit in front of of the screen and Mr. Putin is keeping me busy. <laughs> Tom your, your interpretation from your side of the channel on this one are, are you thinking could this be actually a new series for us? You know, <laughs> pairing up you know the lovers and haters of the sunday walk it could replace this program uh, uh, well yeah i mean i don't i don't want to sort of put florian on the spot but i think the lovers section would be quite a lot longer than than the, than the haters i don't know tyler i don't think you would look too fondly if i just struck off into epping forest halfway through my working weekday no absolutely that, I, don't think, I think this I don't is what, that would what go sun, down very well would it? for um I, i'm all for a sunday walk uh but we'll, listen we'll be reporting in it later tom i don't know where you're off to but wherever it is have a very very uh, lovely sunday we'll catch up with you across the week. Emma Nelson hopefully has not strolled away from the news desk and is there a little bit. We're a little bit late with the news headlines. Uh, one minute and six seconds. Uh, Emma, over to you. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. The head of the German Navy has resigned following controversial remarks he made about Ukraine. Kai Achim Schoenbach said Ukraine would never take back the Crimean Peninsula from Russia. He said the idea that Moscow wanting to invade Ukraine was nonsense and that President Putin deserved respect. A court in Turkey has ordered a well-known journalist to be jailed ahead of a trial on charges of insulting President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. Sedef Kabas denies the charges. 
Italy's former Prime Minister Silvio Berlusconi has withdrawn from the race to become president. He said he was pulling out for the sake of national unity. Parliament is due to begin choosing a candidate on Monday. And an enormous robotic yak able to sprint at six miles an hour has been developed by Chinese scientists. The robot can deal with all sorts of road and weather conditions, according to the Chinese state-run People's Daily. When deployed, it will join soldiers from the Chinese army on logistics and reconnaissance missions across complex environments, including snowfields, deserts and mountains. And those are the headlines on Monocle 24. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich. Thank you very much, uh, Emma. Any uh, images of this? Yes, they are, as you would imagine, and they are yakky, but in a, in a robotic way. I mean, there's no, I'm not entirely sure how else to describe it. It's big. It's, it looks as if it could carry some heft. I think it can take something like six people on top of it. And at six miles an hour, I wouldn't want to get in its way, to be honest. And I, but it doesn't have the delightful furry coat that I think is so much beloved of the, of the yak. No, absolutely. And uh, at least I got there with the furry yak coat, uh, maybe before the Chinese uh, even, <laughs> even as well. And I have to ask you, though, mm. um, maybe not at six miles an hour, I guess that converts into 10k an hour. Uh, Sunday walks, Nelson household? Massively. Um, huge amounts of resistance from certain members of the household. So they are, um, so, so certain members Florian are actually... is dis- Florian's despairing, by the way. Right. Uh, well, you can hang out with my son and look at computer screens and drive everyone mad if you want to, Florian. But I'm, I'm, I'm with the Christoph, let's get some air into the lungs. I mean, you know full well that if I'm ever in Zurich, I'm I'm up the Utliberg. I'm going for a run along the lake. I have to get out there and have a look because otherwise, if I sit still for more than 10 minutes, I want to throw myself in the Thames, Tyler. Okay, well, let, let's give Florian a, a right to respond. I, I mean, so I have to say, exercising is great. So, like, I love to exercise, but I just don't like the feeling that everybody goes out on a Sunday walking, this collective thing of, like, the exhaust exhaustion of the week, and then you have to, like, go on a recreational walk. I'm all with you, Emma, for, like, a, a picnic or something, you know, like, drink a glass of wine somewhere. A little cold Perfect, at the moment. <laughs> right? At the moment, it's a bit cold. Or, like, actual, actual real exercise, all for it. But just this Sunday walk is, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Emma Nelson's like, you mentioned wine? Yes, I'm fine there. I'm fine. There. I'm, up for the, I'm up for the picnic. What I'm finding, Florian, is that you seem to want to have everything to have a purpose. And what I like about a walk is that there is no purpose to it other than to just not be indoors. So I wonder whether it's it's time. Yeah, purpose. I'll, I'll join you for a glass of wine. Even in the cold, I'll join you for a glass of wine. We, no we'll problem. reflect on purpose over purpose. a glass of wine. <laughs> Very good. Uh, Emma, we might catch up with you at the end um, of the program. Uh, it's just uh, gone uh, 1834 uh, uh, in Seoul. It's 1134 in Helsinki. And it's a 1034 in Aarhus, uh, where we are heading right now to talk to the editor-in-chief of the Ulands Posten uh, newspaper. Jakob Nibro uh, is there. Good morning. Good morning. I uh, love there- the Sunday walks as well. Oh, okay. Maybe, yeah, okay, good. Jakob, maybe just to, uh, we'll let you weigh on weigh in on this first. Maybe tell us if, if you know the great and the good of Aarhus are they are they going around the harbor? Are they venturing out to to the countryside? Uh, where are the Aarhusers going for a walk? Uh, on the beaches and in the forest, just around the uh, just around the city. Okay, well, we have this, a very long one of the best beaches in Europe, and that's really meditation walking there. 
Okay, well, you're getting some surprised faces uh, here in Switzerland, uh, Jakob. I have to tell you that uh, it's it's breaking news here that the best beaches in Europe are 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 in Denmark. But that's okay. That's that's but another that that is are. another point of discussion, and we can maybe have another debate <laughs> debate about that. Okay, so uh, if we if we look to the the front page, at least one of one of the main news stories, and and I should disclose that uh, we had a lovely lunch uh, in in your headquarters uh, earlier in the week, and actually you've heard that uh, we we have uh, Christoph Munger here. Uh, uh, who's, who runs the foreign desk at the Tagus Anzeiger? I can tell you, Jakob, they have a very, very nice building, or at least it's 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 been pieced together as a nice building. Shigiraban uh, did this wonderful wooden atrium, so it's it's quite extraordinary. But but Christoph, I can tell you that Jakob's uh, building, of course, Ulens Posten, of course, has a rather storied history uh, as a newspaper. They ran into, of course, some trouble because of some rather infamous cartoons uh, that that they ran. Uh, and you've never seen a security setup like this, but a very very uh, quite extraordinary uh, news headquarters for a newspaper. And I think. You you and Jakob should sort of become friends over this program because you, you, you should go and have a look at this building. It's quite, oh, it's quite something. I mean, I do, of course, remember the, this cartoon debate a couple of years ago, and uh, I would be glad to see that. Yeah, and, uh, But I have to tell you here that the editorial board of Takasanzeiger, unfortunately, has to leave the, the Shigeru Bahn, a part of the building, to another one that is about to be constructed at the moment. Okay, well, this is, uh, well, at least it may, maybe uh, <laughs> some, some architects some, well, might, might do well out of things. Uh, yeah, yeah the, the, we were, of course, Talking a little bit earlier, as you might have heard, I was quite surprised, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, in, in number of meetings and, and lunches and breakfasts and, and all sorts of things across the week in Denmark. Uh, it was it was surprising to hear, on one side, uh, that you know, clearly what is happening uh, in the Ukraine, the deployment of, of aircraft and ships from Denmark uh, towards the the eastern end of the Baltic uh, is 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 one story, and of course the other story that's been dominating news is this spy scandal uh, that uh, that of course is is unfolding uh, in in your country at the moment. For those uh, who are not familiar uh, with what has happened, uh, maybe just uh, give us a little bit of a background uh, about this story. Yeah, but this story is already a, a, a full-blown scandal, even though we don't know uh, that much detail about it, because it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's in the heart of the secret society. Um, the head of all spies in Denmark, the head of the intelligence service, the equivalent to uh, MI6, I would say, um, has been jailed six weeks, weeks ago uh, under accusation of revealing um information and just this week now last week last friday our former minister of defense has been accused in the same in the same case the public doesn't know what the these the guys uh, should have revealed but there are guessings that that um that it's about the internet cable traffic passing through denmark that Denmark should, on behalf of NSA in America, have been tapping these cables for, for information and also tapping for information on uh, our own citizens, which is highly illegal in this country. And how, how is this? Uh, and of course, I, I've, I've, I've heard from you and from other, other journalists um, as well uh, that the, the press, the Danish press, has also been warned uh, quite, uh, quite sternly in terms of, of yeah, how you have to conduct yourselves around this as well. Yeah, we, we've, been, um, we've been contacted by the uh, intelligence services 
uh, and being um, we they, they asked us to recall that the trader law uh, also applies to media just to ensure that we are that we are well aware that breaking this law uh, gives you up to up to um, uh, 12 years of prison which we find quite threatening quite um, intimidating in sense of covering this story so so the the um, uh, our our task right now is to to cover it as good as possible um, with this threat over our heads and of course this is, these are never uh, very clear cut of course when they're in uh, the the world uh, of, of 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 espionage uh, intelligence gathering uh, and and the counteroffensive that has to go around them there is speculation uh, as well that there might be a bit of also point scoring uh, going on uh, also between the, uh, of course, uh, the, the, the current government uh, and their relationship with the intelligence uh, services um, as well. And, and is that sort of being, uh, yeah, are we seeing that also in opinion pages as well, that this is, we have a very, you have a very assertive government um, at, at the moment, um, and this is could also be part of the story as well? It is. It is. It's our front story today uh, that that there are heavy critique on on uh, the Danish Minister of Defence, the, the current Danish Minister of Defence, not not the accused one, uh, and for being too uh, self-righteous in 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 short, um, not including other parties and um, and uh, not including the um, uh, the people in the defence um, generals and stuff like that. Um, she is she is heavily criticised for her for her dealing with this case and and other cases as well. Uh, Jakob, you just mentioned parties, uh, and of course uh, the the Danska Folkparti, uh, the Danish People's Party. Uh, there is, uh, I mean, leader leadership race, and uh, you should hear about a new a new leader at some point uh, today. Uh, I guess there won't be any surprises as to where that goes, or or is or is there there is there room uh, for maybe some upset, or maybe not at this point. So room for excuse me. Room, uh, room, for, some, for, room for upset or surprise uh, with uh, with with uh, the chosen candidate. We don't know where which way it's going right now, and it is a political potential political meltdown for this uh, party, which has been the uh, most powerful, one of the most powerful parties in Denmark for like 25 years. It's like FPÖ or Alternative for Deutschland or, or um, parties like that. It's a populist party with. Um, with a very um, harsh uh, look on immigration. And uh, two elections ago, it was the biggest uh, right-wing party in Denmark. Now it's been eight out of 10 uh, voters has, has left the building, uh, according to the latest polls. So, so it's, it's a really, really drama in, in this party and actually also in political Denmark because they have been so powerful. Um, and and one of the candidates right now is being accused of fraud with European means, uh, EU means, um, and actually he was convicted in a in a in a court of law just three months ago. And now this case has been dismissed because the judge seems to seem to be um, um, pre um, pre uh, what 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 would you call it? He he had an opinion. Before the 
yeah i mean from determined point point of view of course so yeah yeah uh, uh, a little a little bit of uh yeah small small potential small case of bias there listen i want to um, just maybe uh, turn to uh you you've got two stories uh, that you, that you've uh, that you've, you've also uh, highlighted but i think we should uh, based on that we were talking about sunday walks um and and our our, our florian egley claiming that he's um he's quite active let's talk about uh, the european handball championships florian first i have to ask you will you be will you be tuning in uh, to watch and how do you feel about handball handball championships i think is a brutal sport i don't know i have it's been so long that i have that i've watched this i would go for a live game so if there is an invitation coming up i'll join okay join as an actual participant or, or just or just uh, i i don't i don't think anybody wants to see that so i'll okay. be on the ranks okay okay so well let, let's first uh, for those who aren't familiar uh, of course with with handball uh jakob is, is it is it the sport of vikings is it really that brutal uh, it's brutal when you're Switzerland. Denmark is winning in, in everything uh, right now. So, so, <laughs> so that might be brutal. I think it's uh, extremely fast. I think it's ex- extremely. Um, it's like a uh, complicated fist fight. Um, I understand the the other view on it um, as being brutal, but I also think it's strategic. And then I think it's a David Goliath myth kind of thing because small countries really have a chance here i mean handball is extremely popular in central europe and in france and spain and norway and denmark and switzerland uh, and sweden um, in most of these countries it's number two after football in denmark we wouldn't have a chance being uh, on individual uh, superstar sports uh, because we're such a small country but in every small town in denmark there is a a um, there is an opportunity to play handball. And this really um, makes us fighting above our weight. Uh, and, and that's good for, for the national character. We just beat Croatia last night. And when do, can we look forward to, to sitting down uh, and uh, ordering pizzas and, uh, and, and watching the final? When is that happening? Uh, that's in 10, 10 days, uh, 14 days from now. Uh, so we are moving into the semifinals after this week. And at this point, every fourth uh, Dane is watching handball when, when, when the Danish national team play. So it's, it's a huge thing in Denmark these days. Um, and it's going so well. So, so, <laughs> so uh, it's really good for, for, for national morale. Okay, Jakob, before we go, it does demand one question. You gave us a wonderful tour around your building this week. You didn't point out, though, how big is the handball desk? How many handball editors and correspondents do you have? Or were you hiding them in another building? <laughs> no, they are in Hungary right now, covering the, 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 the championships. So, so I guess we have three or four on, on handball right now. Uh, um, of course, the Danish matches being the largest part of it, our coverage. Yeah, well, and, and obviously that is uh, certainly part of your news uh, and sports budget that you you probably don't have to defend uh, too much. It sounds a little bit untouchable. On on handball, it is. Yeah, when we are superstars, <laughs> it's it's untouchable. <laughs> uh, we like that. Jakob Eber, Editor-in-Chief of uh, Jyllands Post, and uh, joining us uh, from Aarhus uh, this morning. Very, very good uh, to talk to you. Have a, have a lovely uh, Sunday. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday. We're going to go away uh, for a short break. Uh, our Fiona Wilson is in Tokyo right after this. 
They say you host the Monocle Daily for two stints in your career, once on your way up and once on your way down. It's good to be back. The Monocle Daily is our early evening show, live from London and Zurich every weekday at 1800, that's 1900 CET. Join me and our expert panels as we review the day's events in Europe, follow developing stories in the Americas, and welcome early risers in Asia and Australasia. The Monocle Daily also features reports and analysis from Monocle staff and correspondents around the world, and a host of fresh features taking a wider, deeper or lighter look at the news. Join us for the Monocle Daily every weekday at 1800 London time, 1300 on the east coast of the United States, right here on Monocle 24. You're back with Monocle on Sunday, live from Zurich with me, Tyler Berlay, just uh, gone at 10.48 here. Perfect time uh, to head over to Tokyo, where it's uh, 18.48. Our Fiona Wilson, our bureau chief uh, there, is standing by. Good evening, Fiona. Hello there. Good evening, Tyler. Uh, tell us, uh, we, we were corresponding a little bit uh, earlier uh, in the week, and uh, if you look at any of the, the front pages uh, of, of the Japanese uh, news outlets, it seems that the country uh, has, has gone into a little bit of panic mode um, again, uh, certainly over Omicron, um, the, the amount of cases, but it also begs the question as well, have they been watching the news elsewhere in the world and, and seeing also that things are easing up because there is a little bit of evidence uh, now to support the fact that this is is not quite, uh, it's certainly infectious, but uh, but not not as dangerous as, as Delta and other variants. Well, I mean, it's just Japan's at that moment. I think, you know, we're just a bit behind Europe. So we're at that moment where infections are just massively multiplying. And there is a bit of panic, I have to say. So a lot of Japan is now under a sort of these semi-restrictions. It's not like a full lockdown, but it is, you know, restaurants have to close at nine. There, there are, you know, it, it's basically telling people just to remember to, you know, socially distance, masks, all the usual things. Um, I have to say I was out last night. I went to a bar and then I had dinner and um, both were packed. So I don't, I don't know what that says about the, uh, the pandemic fatigue. Maybe people just don't want to hear about any more regulations at the moment. That is interesting because was, I did see a couple of, of comment pieces just around that as well. That, of course, if you know, over these last uh, 18 months to almost two years, if much of J- Japanese society was quite compliant, uh, and, and also knowing that, th- that there was also a nighttime economy um, in many cities that, that was always functioning throughout this, that it sounds it's a little bit more pronounced right now that a lot of people are just saying they actually they don't really they don't really give a stuff at this point which which seems yeah of course to to step out of the maybe beyond the normal guardrails of japanese society yeah i think you know people are pretty sensible they've always been quite sensible here and i think people do realize you know they can see what happened in europe the numbers go up massively it's not as serious but at the moment they are saying that hospitals in tokyo they've they've crossed the threshold for bringing in these regulations for this sort of semi-lockdown. So, you know, the government didn't really have any choice and more prefectures are adding. And I think, you know, by next week, you're going to see much of Japan under the same kind of rules. You're not really supposed to travel around Japan, but it, it's it's fairly relaxed. And I have to say, out and about on the street, people are just doing what they have been doing for the last, it's, you know, getting on for a couple of years, isn't it? You know, they're wearing their masks, they're just going about their business. But um, yeah, I think... Uh, there's also quite a strong feeling that the uh, I, I'm sure you read about this that this this sort of 
current wave. It's the sixth wave, apparently, um, really kicked off at these American bases. And that's been a really interesting discussion that a lot of Japanese discovered that American military personnel didn't have to follow the rules like the rest of us. Um, they were subject to American rules. So they weren't quarantining. They weren't wearing masks. And um, yeah, that's, that's been a bit of an interesting discussion. Uh, just to, when you were talking about uh, people going about their business on on a Sunday, uh, yeah, you've probably uh, heard that we we've we've now have a, a debate that sort of created uh, or sort of uh, bubbled up in this program about the, the the Sunday walk. Now I'm wondering, we could talk about the Sunday walk um, in in Tokyo, but also people like a Sunday drive. That's the one thing you really notice. Certainly not too far from from where you are. This is also a moment for people to to bring out their their G wagons, uh, to bring out their vintage cars. Uh, Etc. And this might be good news uh, for a new model from from Toyota, I believe. Uh, so you would think, but I mean, poor old Toyota. They're not hit by sort of uh, supply shortages. Um, you know, COVID's hit their plants. They had to shut down for a few days many of their plants uh, production lines on plants last week. And now the latest news that if you want, if you're in Japan and you want one of the new uh, Land Cruisers, you could be waiting for up to four years, which. Seems fairly extreme. I think you'd have to really want a new uh, Toyota Land Cruiser, but um, they haven't explained why. They just said uh, it's not related to uh, supply chain shortages um, and it's not to do with COVID. So I don't really know what the explanation is, but um, certainly anyone who wants one will have to um, will have to wait their their turn. Fiona, I've got the answer for you because I was in uh, in the Gulf uh, a couple of months ago at the time when the new Land Cruiser was released. And, and I think probably the margins uh, to sell a pimped up uh, Toyota Land Cruiser uh, at the dealership uh, in, in, well, in Dubai or, or Abu Dhabi, uh, you're probably commanding more money, uh, especially with all like the doodahs you can add to it, uh, maybe for the Gulf markets. So and maybe um, Mr. Toyota is, has decided that uh, he wants to focus on the Gulf and, and, the, and the domestic consumers uh, are going to have to wait. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen the, the photos of the sort of souped up versions. Yeah, I don't think I could even get one down my street, to be honest. Um, I'm definitely in the in the teeny tiny K car market where I live. It's a dead end, and absolutely no no way I could get a whopping great Toyota Land Cruiser down there anyway. So I won't be on that waiting list. But it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because you know, uh, Japan, uh, of course, like many leading economies, uh, very uh, environmentally uh, focused. But at the same time, you know, and as you know, I don't think anything has changed since the last time I was in Tokyo. Uh, not that I'm counting twenty one months ago, twenty two months ago. Um, there, uh, that uh, much has changed in the way of having these extraordinary gas guzzlers, not just zipping around the city, but also you know, for people to to venture out into into the countryside and and beyond. I mean, I know there is, of course, a, a a hybrid market, you could sort of argue that uh, that certainly that was a territory that to Toyota defined. Uh, but yeah, people people don't uh, don't mind a, a sort of massive beast on four wheels either. Yeah, I mean it's funny, you know. I mean the road our monocle shop and offices on. You do sometimes see these just extraordinary hummers rolling down the street and you think really so unsuitable for Tokyo and you know I'm someone I've lived in Tokyo a long time I've never had a car in Japan I've, I've never really needed one in fact last summer was the first time I, I even got my license to drive in Japan you know watch out Japan here I come but that was because I got a dog and I realized if I wanted to go anywhere couldn't put the dog in a in a crate that was big enough so I had to get um, you know car rentals the way forward so you know, I'm typical. People just find car parking spaces are really expensive in Tokyo. And for most people, you just don't need it. Public transport is brilliant here. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd have to um, really think hard about getting a car full time.
I think our, our listeners are wondering, Fiona's putting her dog in a crate, um, which... Uh, oh, oh. Or, or is or is that or is that a cage? Because I think there's probably people sort of you know getting images of, of of you walking down to the grocery store and uh, and getting something that they put the the cabbages in and and your your poor Shiva's going in there. Or is it or is it more souped up than that? No, what you need like you can take a dog on a train, for example, but it has to be has to be boxed up nicely um, <laughs> with plenty of air. Obviously, no, that that you know that's not really a possibility. I think my my dog would keel over. It just would not be happy being put in any kind of. Uh, box of any description so if i want to travel around japan with my lovely dog i'm afraid i've got to uh, go on uh, four wheels okay well just before we go i also want to bring in uh, emma nelson um as, as well just uh, and we're gonna do a quick spin around before before we go we have to have uh, one sort of slightly lighter story uh but before we uh, we we wrap up the program i see that christoph has got uh, something at the front front there but emma yes do, are there, were there any more animal stories or, or semi-animal stories we've heard about the robotic yak we've heard about the beavers uh here in in zurich um, anything else that didn't quite make uh, your your news read today the swiss have a robotic dog they do. I, it was an absolute toss-up between robotic yak and robotic dog. I had a glut of robotic animals uh, today. I shall look it up very briefly if I can, uh, if you give me a moment. Uh, yes, it goes up mountains, and it's it's intended to do uh, to deal with sort of uh, mountain rescue and go over terrains that, that you and I would possibly not really want to, to to tackle in an emergency. And the great thing is, it can go up very very you know high highly vertical things. It doesn't look quite as beefy as the robotic yak, which has the most amazing set of haunches, and it's it's really quite hefty and that. That, that that goes some, but the robotic dog. There you go. You wanted an animal story. It's not quite there. Uh, you now you've got it's it's all grins um, from Florian now because he <laughs> thinks there is a Sunday walk sorted. But yet yes or no? I'm, well, walking walking the robotic dog designed by ETH for a Sunday walk. I mean, come on, I I do that. That's okay, right? <laughs> the only thing I mean on my wish list would be that you know traditionally the Swiss rescue dogs they had this li- little wooden barrel. Um, with a whiskey in it, or just, I mean, or a brandy, I think it was originally, you know, to help um, if you're if you're in an avalanche or something, you know, um, get get a sip of, of brandy. So the robotic dog doesn't have that. And I think that's that's a real minus. So I think ETH and the developers of that dog should think about this. Christoph, um, and anything uh, light from your pages or, or anywhere else uh, before we go today? No, it's just, I mean, I had this, this, this story uh, about Horizon, the Horizon program that uh, Switzerland uh, had to leave because the, the framework agreement with the EU wa- uh, wasn't completed, but we haven't to go in, into that here now. But the, the Swiss have problems there because the, the good, the good, uh, the good scientists uh, are about to leave. But Florian can, can tell more about that because he, he, he works at ETH, I guess. Yeah, so I, I don't know what what the future holds, you know. So now we got the robotic dog. I, I hope we'll have enough. <laughs> we'll have enough international collaboration among scientists to have a version 2.0 in Switzerland as well, perhaps with the brandy barrel. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Fiona, if we if we have you, just uh, very quickly, anything that we need to know from this, the streets of uh, of Tokyo, anything else that that caught your eye uh, on a, on a on a slightly uh, bubblier note. Well, I did notice that Yoyogi Park, you know, talking of dogs, because there are always about a million dogs in Japan, sort of biggest part, park in this part of Tokyo. Yoyogi Park is finally starting to reopen, which is incredibly good news for all us dog walkers. So this huge park has been closed for about, I mean, just so long now. I can barely remember when it last opened. And finally, they're, they're removing the horrible um, orange fences and we, we get our park back. 
Okay, we'll be looking forward to, to photos um, of all of that. Uh, my thanks to Fiona Wilson, uh, also uh, Florian Egli, uh, Christoph Munger, uh, Tom Edwards uh, as well, and over in Aarhus, uh, Jakob Nudro. Uh, this has been Monocle on Sunday. Our show was produced by Emma Nelson and Marcus Hippie, our studio manager in Zurich, Desiree Bandley, and Nora Hall is over in London. I'm Tyler Brule. Have a very, very good Sunday and a good rest of week. And we'll be with you next Sunday. Goodbye for now. <laughs>